I'm here today with Heather Hansen from Global Speech Academy. Hi, Heather. How are you? Hi there, John. I'm great, thanks. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, in a rainy Singapore. So thank you very much for, for dialing in to, to the podcast. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're having a rainy Monday morning as well. So we'll yeah. both sit here in the rain on our opposite sides of the world. Mine is just a lot warmer than yours, I think. You've got hot rain. I've got freezing rain here in Madrid. But, yeah. but great, great to speak to you. And uh, I was really interested in this conversation because one of your big things is this idea of improving communication in organizations mm -hmm. and, and for individuals as well, of course. Do you, how, how did you get into that? What was, why did you choose to specialize in that? Well, I think it's always been a part of my life, even since I was young. So growing up in, in America, in California, we're sort of trained from kindergarten age to stand up and present and communicate in public and speak our minds and own our ideas. And as I moved on out into the world, I left the States 20 years ago, and I've lived in Denmark and Singapore since, split my time between those two countries. And I came to a realization sometime in the start of the pandemic that, you know, as we moved online into these into these Zoom rooms and Google Meets that, that there were a lot of people going on mute who were not communicating anymore. Uh, and that inspired my most recent book. But long before that, when I came to Singapore the first time, I found out that I could actually, you know, make money for talking. I could be a speaker and a trainer and and share my knowledge that way. So that was when I started my company, Global Speech Academy. We've had that for 15 years now and focus almost entirely on communication training and coaching. So everything that has to do with global communication, which is so fascinating in Singapore, especially because every conversation I'm a part of is multinational, multicultural, multilingual in every sense of the terms. So it's a really, really an exciting place to be. I think in a lot of our roles these days, communication is kind of pretty much all we do to get stuff mm -hmm. done you know it's about building relationships yeah. communicating with people might be having management conversations and performance conversations it might be just trying to be influential you know it, it's a, such a vast part of what we do in a lot of our jobs yeah. and yet yes. yeah. a lot and, and yet we kind of just seem to focus on either technical skills or other uh, communication seems to be surprisingly absent from a lot of uh That's you know so true learning it's programs so true. or seems, development programs yeah. Yeah, it's like a nice to have instead of a need to have. I think that changed quite a bit as we moved into the pandemic and we moved online and people realized they didn't know how to communicate from an online space, a virtual, in a virtual way with remote teams. So that changed things very quickly. And suddenly communication was a must have. And they were trying to figure out how do we do this online? And they realized that they really didn't know how to do it offline. And suddenly it became really important. Um, but I've always argued that communication is leadership. If you don't know how to communicate, you don't know how to lead or inspire or persuade or get any real work done. So it's at the heart of everything that we're doing. So I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think that it's taken business a little bit longer to catch up with that thought and understand that this is really, really necessary. Yeah, I, I always think of leadership. I find the word leadership a little bit unhelpful and i always talk mm. about instead of leadership think about it as influence inspiration um empowering people rather than thinking leadership which is a bit of a nebulous term and, and maybe pushes people in a more directive approach in their mind because we think maybe of uh, a military style leadership or political style mm -hmm. leadership which is very different than mm -hmm. the corporate world where most of us operate so yeah i, I kind of like to think of it in terms of influence inspiration and, and empowering people and that's all about communication what else are you going to do absolutely Exactly. Yeah, you do. have to be able to. Yeah, you yeah. have to. And and now it's getting more complex because 
teams are remote and they're global. Even if you've never left your hometown and don't even own a passport, the world's coming to you, whether you like it or not. You know, we have teammates living all over the world. Suddenly, the world is entering our living rooms and we have to be ready and understand how to communicate better across cultures with people who are different from us. Even within our own national culture, we are running up against people who are different that maybe we wouldn't have had contact with before. So especially with this new remote team movement, we're learning to communicate in a, in a much better way, I hope, uh, a much more inclusive way as well. The way we wanted to take this conversation was to talk about what we call communication transformation in organizations. Mm. I say we, it was you that came up with that. But I think that's the, <laughs> the, the reason I really liked that was it's, I mean, it sounds ambitious, this idea of communication transformation, but it's also holistic. And it's not just thinking, yeah, it's not just thinking about, you know, teaching people, you know, a a model for structuring your argument Mm -hmm. or something like that, which might might be great, Mm -hmm. might be really useful, but it's not the only thing that we're talking about here. So in what way is is your approach different from just ticking training boxes, which might be the usual tick boxy approach? Yeah, yeah, I, I really don't like ticking training boxes. And we talked about this before. And that's typically, as a frustrated corporate trainer, that's what I do every year, right? HR calls me around this time every year and say, okay, we're planning for next year. And we need this, 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 this. We did a needs assessment. This is what we need. Can you do a two-day presentation skills course and fix everybody? And I think we all know in the training and development, learning and development field, that is not how it works. So this was the big frustration that led to me writing my book Unmuted. And within that book, I've presented an unmuted framework, which is trying to take a very holistic approach when we talk about communication. So it includes conscious, confident, and connected communication, where within that confidence circle, if you think of it as a Venn diagram, within confidence, we're talking about self-confidence and skills confidence. So that's the only little sliver that is directly referring to some kind of gap filling or skills training of how to actually give a presentation or how to negotiate or how to show empathy or all of the, how to write a good email, whatever it might be. That's only one little piece of the puzzle. And it's usually the very last thing that we should be looking at. After we look at how conscious are your people in your teams? Are you good listeners? Are you empathetic? Are you culturally intelligent? Um, And also, are you connected? Is there psychological safety? Have you built good relationships? Those things need to be looked at as well. And they're typically forgotten in communication training, but it's all part of the larger picture. So so that's the the framework I use to talk about becoming more unmuted in our teams of, of creating a communication culture and a real transformation that allows people to really speak up in the workplace and connect on a different level. I, I love that. I love the way it picks on those other factors as well. Right. I think you said you, you, the phrase you said, which I really liked, was "show up, speak up, and inspire action." I really yes. like that phrase because uh, I think that's that that just sums it up really well. And and actually, when you yeah. think about it like that, the almost the communication skills feel like the least important part of it. Is that mm-hmm. overstating Isn't it? That Is that overstating it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, it all works together, right? I mean, show up, speak up, inspire action is the subtitle of the book Unmuted, and so the show up piece 
is linked to the conscious communication, how we're showing up in the world. Are we self-aware? Do we know our values? Because so many people talk about being authentic in the workplace, but if you don't even know who you are, how can you argue that you need to be authentic? I think a lot of people aren't even aware of what their values are, whether or not they're aligned with the company they're working in. Although I think people through the pandemic have discovered they were not in alignment with their companies and realized they wanted a change, but why didn't they know that going in, right? So we're, we're sort of waking up to all of this, but showing up is that conscious communication piece. Speaking up, I think you do need that confidence. And, and a lot of that is self-confidence. And then you have your skills confidence as well. Do you actually know how to give a presentation and feel confident in that skill set? And then finally, the inspiring action, you can only do that if you have connection. If you have strong relationships in your team and people are inspired by you and they want to follow you and they're choosing to do so, that's what makes a good leader. So show up, speak up, inspire action really yeah, encompasses the whole concept of being a truly unmuted individual in the workplace. Yeah, and that inspire action point is really important because it's not just communication for the sake of it. It is actually does no. have a purpose. As in, what, you right. know, what do I want people to do as a consequence of my mm -hmm. communication? But one thing I want mm -hmm. to slightly challenge you on here is you were saying that the only point of that is the, the little sliver inside confidence where you've got your skills mm -hmm. confidence and your self-confidence. And that's the kind of the area where L&D or training might have a place to act. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd say it could act across that piece because you can still, you were saying about knowing your values, you were talking about mm -hmm. creating psychological safety, etc. Understanding mm -hmm. empathy, cultural intelligence. You, you said quite mm -hmm. a lot of really, really important things there. But I think there's a role for L&D in all of that. It'll be different. But there's I think definitely there's a role, a role there. for L and yeah, definitely a role for L and D. I feel like the training solutions come into play mostly in that confidence piece of running a training program and going into a classroom and teaching something and having this interactive training session. I find that things like intercultural competence are learned a lot better through doing. So there might be profiling tools that we use, and then it's more like facilitated discussions and self awareness exercises, which I don't put under the, the classification of a training course in the same sense. So I think it's about digging into our toolbox to pull out all of those different ways that we help and, and lead people through a culture transformation, whether it's through coaching or mentoring or facilitating or training or speaking. You know, we have all these different skill sets and they are quite individual. So maybe some trainers don't have all of those skill sets. Uh, they need to be developed. But I think that we have different modes of delivering and coming to those um, understandings other than just training in a classroom. But absolutely, there's an L&D element across all of it. We need to, but I think it's much more than ticking a training box of uh, come in and run a webinar on this and then leave, right? <laughs> so it's uh, much more complex. And these types of interventions take time. It's not just a training day. It's ongoing discussions, facilitations, team exercises, circling back and, and reviewing other things. And, and it's, it's just a very different approach, I think, than what I've typically done over the last 15 years of coming in, running a day and, and leaving again. So now I'm starting to pull on a lot more of my skill sets to make also the way that I approach learning and development more holistic, as well as what I'm actually trying to help them do, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you, you would still be designing or structuring activities formal and, mm -hmm. and less formal activities across the whole yeah. Venn diagram all the big circles in your right. Venn diagram it's just and that they're not especially necessarily more informal yeah I, th I like that you mentioned informal because that's actually where a lot more of it is in the culture change informal things even like giving them prompts for internal um, intranet social media 
right? So posting within their intranet, okay, this week, let's talk about our unmuted stories or our unmuted moments or our unmuted mentors or having these informal conversations in an intranet or offline or in discussion groups that I'm not even necessarily involved in, but encouraging them to keep these conversations running in very informal ways that I think create more of a cultural change and shift than perhaps walking in and delivering some kind of structured course. So I think the informal piece of that is really important. And it's sort of the, the grassroots effort of, of changing culture as well. Yeah, there's no better way to find out what you think about something than trying to write about it, is there? I mean, right. as, soon, as soon as you have to write about something, you actually have to crystallize your thoughts into something sensible, so mm -hmm. or, or not necessarily sensible, but at least something written, <laughs> written down. That someone can read. <laughs> yeah, that someone else can read. I mean, with all those things, it's a slight tangent question, which I'll, I'll come back to, to the main point in a second. But just to, because you mentioned that idea of giving people those informal prompts, where they go off and do something within a community environment, whatever that is online or not, those are notoriously hard work to make them work, and to get people to actually do it. I just wonder if you had any tips whilst we're whizzing past that point. No, that's, that's a really great point. And what I try to do, uh, and this is another tool that I use in my big toolbox, I have partnered with a data analysis firm out of Denmark called Innovisor, and they do organizational network analysis. And they basically send out a four-minute survey. It asks questions like, who do you trust? Who would you turn to for advice? And that might measure trust. Or who do you find uh, to be really credible that you, you would go to with your biggest questions? Or who are your most important mentors? And you might, the people will list maybe four or five names for each of those questions. Then they crunch all of this data. And it could be 100 people. It could be thousands of people. And they can crunch the data to create the networks within the company. So the organizational networks. And you can see who is closest to whom, who is really connected, who is not, who's talking and has open communication lines, who does not. And also within that network, they can identify who the top influencers are within the company. Now, this is very, very interesting because through their data, they've shown that 3% of the employees have the ability to influence up to 90% of the organization, and they are never, ever part of the leadership team. These are, you know, this is Agnes in accounts. And, and John over in IT. And they're the people that remember people's birthdays and how old your kids are and, and really build relationships in the company. So when we know who those influencers are, we get them on board to really push the informal culture change. Because if they believe in it and they um, are actively participating, the rest of their networks follow and they can influence up to 90%. So this is an incredibly powerful tool that I have integrated into all of my larger transformation work, which a lot of companies are neglecting. They, they have a lot of data and they're ticking boxes around diversity and gender and age and generation and blah, blah, blah. But they actually aren't measuring, using that data in a way that measures their connections. And when we do that, we can find who our internal influencers are. And then that just skyrockets the, the success of the program in that sense. So that's one other little tool that I've started using that I highly, highly recommend to all L&D professionals if they want to really know their people, but also external consultants coming in. If you can work with a data analysis firm like that to get that kind of analysis done, it's a game changer. That sounds, that sounds absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm quite intrigued to know that what that would look like in my organization. Although I, I'm not... Did, 
I'm not sure that answered my question because I was thinking about like if you're doing communities and stuff like that and you're trying mm-hmm. to get people to uh, participate, participate mm-hmm. yeah, participate mm-hmm. more in those voluntary activities that you don't have to bother putting yeah. anything on Yammer or Slack or whatever you you use right. or on your community boards or in your mm-hmm. team on mm-hmm. Teams. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. wonder if you had any tips specifically about that, or, or are you saying you use that tool first to work out who your influencers yeah, are? We, we use that tool first before we even start any kind of program. We find out who the influencers right. okay. are, and then I do special training just with those influencers to give them an idea of what this program consists of, why it's important. We get them on board because then when they start acting and supporting and getting involved, their entire networks follow. And they're like, oh, look, John's doing this, so I'm going to do it too. And oh, John shared, so I'm going to share. You know, These are the people who start the movement, and then it spreads through the company. So we start with those 3%. We get them on board as ambassadors of the program, and that might be known publicly or it might not be known. It's just informal behind the scenes that I have these people informally working on my side to help lead to the success of the program. Because so much of that kind of community action is relationship-based. When you see people that you like and know and and they're your friends at work and they're doing something and they're getting you excited about it, then you want to do it too. And I really think that's the only way to start that movement from the bottom up. But you need to know who those people are. And if you ask leadership, who are the you know influencers in your company? Leadership typically does not know. They have no idea. They're in in the history of Innovisor's studies, they've never been able to guess correctly who their three percent were. So it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely fascinated. I'm definitely having a look at that when it's send me the link when this is finished because that'd be really interesting yeah i will i will yeah Yeah, and and for the listeners i write about them very specifically in the book in chapter 12 of the book it's all about this data analysis and how we use that so it's quite interesting i'm very excited about it actually on in your just mentioning your book whilst whilst you mentioned it because it's in unmuted is the yes title of it what does that mean what are you heading for what would it mean if we look if we were in an unmuted world well, if, if we were, then we have equal parts of conscious, confident, and connected communication. So you're balanced in all of those areas. If you're very confident and very connected, but you're lacking that cultural intelligence and self-awareness to know that, oh, I'm talking too much, your voice ends up being too loud and you end up dominating the meetings, you talk over people, maybe you aren't including other people's voices, you aren't getting the same innovation out of your t- team. Uh, If you're conscious and connected, but you're lacking that self-confidence, skills confidence, then your voice is too soft and you aren't pressing unmute enough. You aren't showing up. You aren't sharing those bright ideas with the world. And then if you're conscious and confident, but you're not connected, meaning you don't feel like you belong, you feel like maybe there's some discrimination happening against you. You don't feel included in the group. These people usually go on mute and they don't share anything. Or maybe they've tried sharing their ideas a million times and they're constantly shut down and they just stop talking. And that gets really dangerous. Those are the people we're at risk of losing. And I think it's just the biggest waste of human potential when we have people who are sitting there on mute all the time, not participating, not engaged. So to be unmuted means that we're going to be able to have better inclusion in the workplace. We're going to be listening to everyone's ideas. Everyone has a voice at the table. We're conscious about not dominating discussions. We're also conscious about speaking up when we need to. It goes both ways. Um, and we're more innovative and inclusive in general. So that's what being unmuted is all about, is leading to greater innovation and inclusion and hopefully efficiency because our communication lines are open at all times. Yeah, I did your questionnaire 
before we did the oh you did yeah after Uh we spoke the first time yeah and i did all right on two of them well i did all right across all three actually but the one that was lowest was whatever it is that makes me come out on mute uh, on mute so what's that is that connected is that connection connection yeah yeah, yeah. Which not... that means connection would have been low. You would have felt like maybe your ideas weren't accepted all the time or you weren't being acknowledged for your skill set or something like that. If you come out on mute, that means your connected piece is lowest out of that equation. Yeah, I would have thought that, well, let, let's not let's not analyze me. Let's not go down that route. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, I thought You're certainly was... not on mute in the public because you sit here running podcasts and everything else so you're obviously sharing your ideas with the world but maybe in your specific work context it's different yeah I don't I don't know but um again I don't want to go too far down the road of uh airing my uh issues in public but um and it but it also talks about context right because you could take that assessment thinking about how you are with your family versus how you are in your company versus how you are in your communication out to the world, and you could come up with very different answers. So we move around this Venn diagram quite a bit, depending on context. You know, That's I really can be very point. outspoken at home, and I can go to work and be very muted and scared to speak up. So it's not necessarily your only one thing, and you're stuck there for the rest of your life. You're going to very naturally move around this diagram, and it's very contextually based. That's a really good point. Because I, I was just having this discussion on uh, at the weekend, actually, because I went out on Saturday night with some friends. And they are friends that are, are in, in, in some cases, perhaps m- more interested in the listening to their views than my views. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. to put it politely. We all have friends like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're very nice people, you know, just in case they're listening. They're very nice people. But, um, <laughs> but I notice I have this tendency that if... I get the feeling that someone doesn't particularly want to listen or isn't particularly interested in engaging in a conversation or isn't is just waiting so that they can then put their plonk their issues on the table then I I just can't I almost feel like I can't communicate it's not that I choose not to I just feel unable to communicate because I'm just not interested in the sound of my own voice for the sake of it I want to have conversations so I, I do find myself muting myself if I feel mm-hmm. that I'm not going to get an engagement back. And maybe I'm right. wrong sometimes because I'm prejudging the other person. But I know that I have that tendency to put myself on mute. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. It absolutely makes sense. And I think people do this in all kinds of contexts, right? And with certain people you have relationships with and you know it's going to be that kind of interaction and you just let them be the loud voice, right? And you just yeah. let them take over because it's easier or you don't you don't want to put in the effort to have to fight that uh so i understand that completely yeah and maybe that doesn't matter over dinner on saturday night or whatever but right. perhaps at work there is an issue that you think no no you've got to push there harder is. you've got to speak louder you've got to you know I, if what you're saying is worth saying well, you've got to actually overcome voices. that well yes and no the loud because part of the problem there is the other side right that those voices are quite loud and they aren't being conscious in their communication they aren't listening to you they aren't engaging in conversation they're simply getting their ideas on the table like you were just saying so there's also that element that they need to increase their self-awareness and understand their effect on in that business meeting right how they're affecting everyone else's voices by dominating and speaking in this one directional way and not hearing anything back. So as they start becoming more self-aware and, and turning down their volume, then maybe you have the space to start speaking up and and you want to contribute more instead of pressing mute and just saying, oh, forget it, just let them talk the rest of this meeting because I'm never going to get a word in. So, so that's definitely affecting it too. 
I think there's two two points that I really want to make quickly on this because this, this yeah. is so interesting. I but love this. One is one is uh, one of the f- best things I ever learned was to focus on what you can control and right. getting some other people to be self conscious and all that just feels like that's that's your problem, mate. That's I'm not, not going sure to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why you have to have the whole company in the unmuted transformation, well, right? It's not just a one person thing. But yeah, well, that's you, what I was going to say. Yeah. You can do. Exactly. That's one brick wall I'm not going to bang my head against. Sorry, um, your problem. But that's okay up to a point because you're sort of saying, well, okay, you're not going to get the best out of me because you are not engaging in a way that helps me communicate with my, you know, foibles and whatnot. But then I think this is exactly why this is called communication transformation in organizations. So it is looking at that whole piece. So it is getting other people to, as you say, to those people to turn the volume down by increasing their conscious awareness the other person to get the volume up by increasing their confidence and capability or whatever it might be mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think that's the point here is that taking an organizational approach has the virtuous circle effect mm-hmm. if you see what yeah so that yeah you turning the volume down mm-hmm. helps me speak up me speaking up helps you blah 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 exactly yeah anyway sorry finding go, balance let, let me go back to the script here Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think you do raise the good point that you can only do what you can control as well. If you're going, you know, if you pick up the book and you read it and then you want to make changes, there's only so much you can do individually. And so that's about learning different ways to speak up in a different way or to find that space in the conversation to jump in or turn up your voice in other ways or or help them to see that you're trying to speak up so i mean there are other things you can always do on your own but it helps when everyone's on board and trying to make a change of course in an organizational sense yeah and and there is but there is um, as well as that and there is a sort of a sense of responsibility that if you want to be in a Mm -hmm. a more influential position and you are finding yourself not getting the connections you want, whatever, however you might describe that, there is a, a sense, if you want to succeed, rather than be a sort of heroic failure, and it's all everyone else's fault, that you actually <laughs> yeah, want to succeed, right. which is tempting, uh-huh. which is tempting sometimes, I have to say. Yeah, yeah it's but, easy um, to blame everyone else. Yeah, yeah, it's, I was right. But yeah, if you want to succeed, and you want to make that difference, then there is some responsibility on you somewhere to go beyond just your circle of control into your how can you try and create a a wider organizational capability in this area? And for those on mute, that's often building better connections, like honing the people skills, building stronger relationships, prioritizing relationships, and, you know, choosing to take lunch with one of your colleagues instead of sitting at your desk, building those those connections and doing what you can from your side, because I agree, we also have the responsibility. It's not just victim mentality of, oh, the whole world is against me. It's, no, what can I also do to change this and improve my situation? So there's always something we can do, whether that's, you know, working on our own self-confidence and all the childhood trauma and issues that have forced us to put ourselves on mute all the time or turn down our voices, you know, overcoming those things. And that's something only you can do or getting off mute by building stronger relationships or becoming more self-aware and realizing, gosh, maybe I am dominating conversations and I need to quiet down every now and then. And maybe I can take it upon myself to invite more people into the conversation and not always be the one talking. So there are definitely things we each can do to, to try to balance that a bit. But none of this is easy, right? This is like the whole point of our conversation that communication is so much more complex than just how to give a good presentation or write a good good email or those skills of here's a a dialogue that you can memorize and, and use these phrases, right? It's so much more complex than that. There's so much more to it. 
Well, yeah, don't they say communication is what the listener does? There's a, 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 fra- a phrase like that somewhere that, yeah, you can have your little island of perfect communication, but it's making absolutely no difference because of the reasons we're talking about now. So, so yeah, if you want to be making a difference, then you need to be looking at this whole bigger picture piece. The, the purpose of this podcast, this discussion is not not only to fix my mental issues, but also <laughs> to present the listener with some ideas about what they might do in their organisation. And other than buy your book, if they were looking at this in the conscious, confident and connected circles, let's go through those three quickly. Can you give me an example of what kind of activity you might be doing in an organisation in, let's start with the conscious circle? to help improve that area? Yeah, there's there's quite a lot. So in the conscious circle, we're looking, first of all, the very first chapter of the book is who are you? So it's identifying values. And I ask people to really think hard about what are your personal values? And everyone in the organization should also know what the company values are. And anytime I run any kind of interventions, I'll ask, like, what are the company values? And there might be three people in the room who actually know what they are. Other people are getting on their phones trying to search the internet and their, their company website, right, and find them. So are those company values communicated? And do people know what they are? And are people's personal values in alignment? Now, the way I see a lot of people do this exercise is they'll give people a list of 200 words on a page that are values and say, what are your top three? Find the three that speak to you. And I don't think that works because people pick the words that sound really good and the ones we wish we had, not necessarily the ones that we have. So integrity, respect, learning, you know, the the same ones every time. And so what I ask people to do is, okay, if you have chosen this as a value, I want you to think of moments in your life where you were faced with a choice and you acted in a way that showed that value. So if you say that integrity is your value, show me, tell me a story from your life where you showed integrity, where you lived integrity. What, because what does integrity even mean? If I ask someone from different cultures, what that means, they're going to give me different definitions. This is also the problem with company values. You can say respect is a company value, but the way a Japanese defines respect versus the way an American defines respect is very different. And the way they communicate respectfully is very different. So you need to have clear definitions of what these things mean. Also for your personal values, how have you actually lived them? Because if you can't figure out, you know, at least five stories from your life where you made a choice that demonstrated integrity in your life, then maybe integrity isn't so important to you. So I take it a step further to look at that. And that's how one great activity, either in a facilitation or informally through intranet, you know, just talking about it, share a story with us where you lived a value. And that gets people thinking about it in a very, very different way, I believe. And I even test my own values that way. Like, do I really believe in this? Do I live them? Because it's too easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe in this, this and this. Uh, yeah especially the words like you say they're all words that none of us would disagree with honesty right you know yeah yeah. sure yeah yeah and then we're not Uh honest a lot of the time probably for very good reasons you know i'm not Uh i'm not not saying we should be completely 100 percent honest but but we we throw these words out Mm -hmm. and and yeah they they are kind of so bland and Mm -hmm. inoffensive and obvious that that they don't really mean anything and then when you have your three values ask your teammates when have you seen me live this value have you ever seen me live this value? If you say that learning is one of your values, but you're not investing in your team's learning opportunities, then is it really a value? You know, maybe your team turns around and says, really, is learning a value? Is it just for you? Or does it also include our learning? Because you don't seem to put any emphasis on that in our team, right? So 
this can be a very eye-opening sort of self-awareness exercise. Yeah, also I love turning that. around to your colleagues and teams to say, when have you seen me live this value? Have you seen me live it? Or have you seen me up, like go against it, not live it? Can you give me any examples? So this, I mean, you could do this a whole day if you wanted to, just talking about your team's yeah. values and getting clear on this because it's quite a deep thinking exercise of, of going through your life and really thinking about those moments where you had to make a choice. You know, I chose to move to Denmark to be with my then boyfriend, now husband, instead of going to law school in America. So what kind of values is that demonstrating in that choice? Something about freedom, something about love, something about uh, the importance of relationships, something. So you can, you can kind of see through those massive choices in your life what you were valuing. Even though I say I value education. Well, I gave up education in a heartbeat when it was put placed next to love, right? So so what, what is it exactly that's guiding you in your life? I think that's uh, and sometimes yeah. you realize it's different than what you think. I, I love those exercises. I think they're great. I'm going to definitely use something Go like that. Go for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, think I it's really, and it's fascinating what comes out, but it also takes a level of connection in the company and some vulnerability for people to share these stories because they are quite personal. And, but then once you have that, you can then compare it and tie it to the company values and see, okay, as a company, how do we live these values? Can we give examples of our interactions with our clients or our interactions in the team that show how we're living the values of this company? And if we're not, what needs to change? And how does that affect our personal values? There's so much that can go into this. And that's just chapter one. Okay, so, I mean, there's there's so much that's in this. We haven't even talked about cross-cultural communication. There's lots of profile tools. I prefer Global Disc, uh, and many, many conversations can come out of that. So there's a lot around self-awareness that we don't even discuss in the workplace because we think it might be too personable, personal or vulnerable to bring it up. But I think there are good ways to talk about it without making it too private yeah i'd like to talk about your use of disc as well because i'm going through the process of thinking not now um i just but i'm going through the process of thinking about what psychometric tools to use mm. which have the most integrity um but that's a different conversation just very very quickly on this last <laughs> point about values just before we uh, move on to to talk about the the other uh, circles in the venn diagram the values thing i think is interesting i mean and I think I really like your exercise there that you've that you've used, and I, I do want to try that out. Do you touch on what might be called less acceptable values at all? So, for example, you might be driven mm. by status, money, um, power, things that we like don't really talk about. Yeah, it's very pos It's very possible you could be. I mean, one thing for me that comes up in my strengths finder, my personal one, is uh, competition and achievement come up in my top three strengths. And for me, I grew up in thinking that competition was a negative thing. And I have a lot of people around me even today who will say, oh, competition is negative. You know, that's why are you so competitive? The, the specifics within that, which I've learned through other profiling tools, is that my version of competition is very much self-focused. I'm competing with myself. And I've done that my entire life through sports and academics and everything. Uh, so in that way, when you look at some of these things, you might think, oh, but that's not a good value to have. But who defines what is good? If if you value money, is that good or bad? Can values be good or bad? It's all in relationship to other people's ideas and their values. So I think that any of these bring up very interesting conversations because maybe I don't feel competition is bad, but someone else is like, oh, what a horrible value to have. You know, that's so meaningless. But it's a bit less socially acceptable than saying family, yeah, love, education, learning, respect, exactly. where everyone goes, oh, how lovely. Whereas yeah, and you, that's why you I go, say, how do you live it? 
how do you live it? Show but me I think how you've lived it. The same question is just as interesting, maybe more so, in terms of like, oh, Heather, you're really competitive. That really should feed into your self-consciousness and think, well, actually, there's a point here I need to, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I don't need to win this conversation, mm-hmm. actually. And exactly. I know I have a tendency to do so. Is actually right. really useful conscious information. Yeah, yeah. All of it is learning. So all of it, anything that can raise your self-awareness around how you act and react in any situation and what values are driving that and driving those behaviors is going to be really, really helpful. So if you are thinking through all these values, I think looking at the negative ones would be just as, if you want to call it negative, you know, but still I question if we can really put a subjective meaning to those. I said less socially acceptable. Less socially was the, acceptable. Was the yeah. phrase yeah. I yeah. deliberate, yeah, I deliberately that. chose for exactly that reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm still quite nervous about revealing some of those. <laughs> funnily enough, just for that reason, that you know they don't always reflect well on you. It's maybe something you don't like about yourself in some cases. That was we were talking there about what the kind of activity we might do with inside the conscious circle. So yeah. moving on to the the confident circle, which I suppose is a bit easier because this is normally where we as L and D people might operate. Can you just give us a quick easier example? And easier and not easier because I think the self confidence is something we cannot necessarily take on in L and D. I think that's a very personal. That's where you need a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, someone who is helping you to develop personal confidence, self-worth, self-confidence. That is outside of my toolbox. I don't take that on. I can give some general ideas around how to manage anxiety, especially in expressive situations like writing and speaking. And that I think crosses over into my work. How do you manage public speaking anxiety? How do you manage what I call expression anxiety? Because it's also writing an email or a social media post. How do you manage that? I can give tips and tools for that, but I can't help you to dig into your psyche and figure out why you don't feel like you're good enough. And that's deeper work that I think the individual needs to take on with a different type of of helper or guide. Um, But the skills confidence, obviously, that's where we come in on a daily basis to help with presentation skills, negotiation skills, building empathy, people skills. And I think this is where we're really in our wheelhouse of yeah, running training programs, coaching, discussion groups, and things like that. So that that I think we all, anyone listening who's a trainer, would, would have a million ideas of how they would go in and, and do this well. Um, and we all have our own ways of doing it, but these are your more typical training solutions. But this is where I think is actually the final piece of the puzzle. We first have to go through the, the conscious and connected pieces to find out what's really the root problem here, because maybe it has nothing to do with the actual skill set. And it has more to do with the fact that it doesn't matter how well I give a presentation, my boss is still going to shoot it down. And then that's a connection piece. That's a psychological safety piece. It has nothing to do with the skill set of the individuals in the team. So you have to really be able to identify the root causes and problems and not just immediately jump to a training solution. But but this is where the training would come in to help build the skills confidence. And I think it's a really important point that you said there as well about recognizing what's not in your toolbox because I think the longer you're in this industry and you, and you end up like doing a lot of coaching uh, mm-hmm, you do maybe yeah. do mentoring and you do have a lot of one-to-one conversations with people that are struggling with certain things it's good to actually remember there is a line there and because that yeah, line gets blurrier and blurrier the more you're in the business yeah, the more experienced you are yeah. and you begin to think you can kind of take on anything yes. but i i think it's very important yeah that you know 
where that line is. And there are certain things that I don't touch. I'm not going to psychoanalyze people and, and try to help them uh, get to the root cause of self-worth issues. That's, that's not my area. But of course, I can give you some breathing exercises to do before your next presentation. But that's not getting to the root of why you're having that anxiety before you go on stage. And that area is not me, that's someone else. So yeah, you absolutely have to know where that line is and when to pass that to someone else. And I think we, we provide a better solution by doing that, by sending people to the experts and our colleagues who fit that, that need or can help to, to help that person in that particular way. Uh, there's no reason in you trying to do it all and do it badly. Oh yeah, I completely agree. And this, I guess, this this feeds into my value, if you like, of one approaching this very professionally, but also do no harm and wanting to really make a difference yeah. with with the L and D activity that we do. And and you can do harm by crossing that line yeah. and going into mm-hmm. and and if it's just somebody who's got a bit of anxiety because they don't really have the skills or the self confidence, there are things we can do, but we have to be mm-hmm. very cautious going across that line. Let's move on to the last bit, which was the connected box. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for those of us that are yes. on mute, this is of mm-hmm. particular interest. What might activities might, might you do in this area? This is all about building stronger relationships among the people on the team. So there's a greater sense of belonging and similarity between the different people. It really boils down to psychological safety and creating that in the team. But I think from an activity perspective, this is where I try to do as many informal style activities as possible. And I focus a lot on storytelling. So this is when I would want them to be sharing their stories in an intranet about their unmuted mentor and someone in the company who inspired them to speak up or find their voice. This is where I might organize unmuted events where there's like an open mic night where They can come together and share stories around values that are important to them or something that they spoke up and changed the world or somewhere sometime when they felt very muted and how that affected them and why that was harmful in their life or their development. So I try to make this very much around storytelling and connection. And because I do think that when we share our stories and we realize how similar we are, then it's like, oh, I didn't know that anyone else felt that way. I've been through the same thing. And that's when we finally build those stronger bonds within the company. The problem is so many companies have removed this type of personal sharing from the workplace that that somehow showing or sharing a personal story is almost taboo in some senses that, oh, that's too private. It's just like when you go on LinkedIn and people will shame others for that doesn't belong on LinkedIn. And that's like a Facebook post. Why are you sharing a story about your kid or whatever? Like there are certain topics that belong in work and certain topics that do not. And I think moving forward, those lines are blurring a lot more. And if we are going to bring our full selves to work, that includes our full histories and our stories and our families and our personal relationships. And, and we're bringing all of that with us. We have always done that. It's just that I think now it's becoming more acceptable to share more about that and to have greater understanding as to why people are showing up in different ways. So to feel more connected, I think we do need a lot more of the informal relationship building activities. And those could simply be a coffee morning where people come together and there's a lecture on something very short and it's mostly for networking, or it could be a open mic night, or it could be social media prompts, or but very informal gatherings that create moments of connection for that team. Yeah. I, and, and when we work remotely, that feels more of a challenge as well. Do you, yeah, it does. Any, any thoughts about how you might apply that to those of us that work with mo- mostly remote colleagues? 
Yeah, and we've really tested this through the pandemic, right? Where how can we create these kinds of events or yeah, different ways of bringing people together in the online space? And some of my favorite things that clients have done have been, you know, even people in all different countries. Well, there's a Starbucks everywhere, you know, and then they've had a certain Starbucks order delivered to every person during the call and they have a coffee morning and everybody gets a delivery knock on their door at the same time with their favorite coffee right and then they all sit there and they get to have this little coffee morning and it's something that's a surprise and it's bringing them together and it's something different i mean they've done it also with lunches or even cocktail nights where they get things delivered and they have somebody who will teach them how to make a cocktail or whatever you have to be careful culturally depending on where your people are located and you know alcohol might be over the line for a lot of companies but that having these different kinds of events, I've seen some companies that are using all these different online tools with these online conference style setups where there's breakout rooms and you all come together and there's an opening and then you can choose a hobby or an interest. So maybe some people go into one room and they're playing music together and they've all brought their instruments and they're doing something together there. Maybe another group is just watching a movie together and another group is having a wine night and they're sharing their favorite wines or whatever. And then another, so they actually pull on more personal um, hobbies and influences to help people connect in a different way than just, oh, we're both in the finance department. So that must be everything we're interested in. It's like, no, actually, I can meet this person from accounts that I've never spoken to before, because we both play music, and we're going to go hang out in this breakout room and jam. So there are really interesting and creative ways to bring your teams together, online or offline, but you have to get creative. And, and you have to start to really get to know one another to, to uncover what would be fun and interesting to do together. So in a way, it's team building on steroids, you know, in, in like the new age metaverse style uh, team building sense. Uh, but I think we're, we're getting more creative about these things. The sharper end of that is the, is the psychological safety bit, which mm -hmm. obviously... That's what we're trying to achieve through all of these things. So is there anything that's a bit more pointy that goes, that hits the psychological safety Specifically angle? to the psychological yeah. safety. I mean, there, there are much more structured ways of approaching this. There are a number of not profiles, but more um, group surveys that can measure exactly where the psychological safety is lacking if it's due to uh, poor leadership or non-inclusive policy. Or So there are some of those surveys that could be run where you can look very specifically at psychological safety as a tool. I mean, if you look at anything from Amy Edmondson, and she's basically rolled out an entire suite of, of training tools now for people who want to be certified in her particular methods, she has a lot of training tools there. Um, but there are other companies that have also come out with survey profile style assessments where you can be doing pulse surveys every quarter or every month even to see how are we advancing in building these stronger connections? Do people feel more safe? If we change this inclusion policy, is that going to now encourage other people to show up differently and feel more safe? Uh, so there are very, you know, structured approaches as well to look specifically at and measure psychological safety, which is usually seen as being difficult to do, but you can through pulse surveys. And I would also encourage people to look into different pulse tool, pulse style tools. Um, but that's usually something that the organization could already have in place. It's just about asking the right questions. So they might just need to integrate some additional questions in their normal pulse survey to start measuring the psychological safety markers. Yeah, and I guess that gives you some structure about where you then can, uh, you know, to target your next activities because the, exactly. the questionnaire will say, here are your issues here, here and here or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
and then, and then like yeah and, and just the very act of measuring it calls it out which and i think that's what we people. need to yeah we need to be a lot more responsible i think in our needs analysis and measurements i think a lot of us as trainers we think we're there to train but if we aren't fitting ourselves into that larger picture by understanding the real needs and then also being part of the measuring process then we are simply going in and ticking the boxes it's not until you transition into really integrating into that company and understanding what's happening from start to finish and beyond that you can be more than just a vendor going in and and doing a two-day course and going out again ticking so the box. I, I think yeah and ticking the box but if you want to move beyond that, then it has to do with offering different ways of finding the needs and then measuring them throughout and really integrating into that company to, to help them do that and or to use the data they already have to really find the appropriate solutions for them. Because a lot of times they don't really know and they need that outside perspective to see it. So sometimes they are overlooking things or they'll get very surprised when you start. I mean, we've had unmuted transformations where everybody does the assessment and then I'll get two or three private emails saying, um, Heather, I'm not sure I want to do this assessment. What are you going to do with the results? Are, are the leaders going to get my specific answers? And I'm going, okay, well, you don't even have to do the assessment because I can already see you're on mute. You're, you're totally afraid of what the repercussions could be just to answer a survey. You know, 27 yeah. true false questions. If that scares you, you don't even have to take it. I already know. So that was very surprising for that particular company to find out that, oh, wait, what? People are sending you private emails and they're scared to do the assessment. <laughs> that that was shocking to them. So it's when you start asking deeper questions that you start to learn a lot more. And sometimes from as an external person going in, you can get a very different perspective on what's happening. And people will be more honest with you because you don't have a direct bearing on their job or their promotion or their bonus, or you shouldn't in any case. You have to be very clear about confidentiality, what you're willing to share with your buyer, your HR professional or C-suite leader who has engaged you. So all of these, when you, when you move from a vendor trainer to a larger type of transformation work, there's a lot more you need to be thinking about and and filling in with other skills. And yeah, it just gets a lot more complex, but it's so much more worthwhile as well to be able to partner with companies in that way. You mentioned a few times different surveys that you use. Mm -hmm. Uh, some some people sometimes resist these. Well, self self assessment is always questionable, right? <laughs> yeah, well, because it's subjective. But then we are talking about human behavior and people's psychological experiences. So subjective is kind of all there is. So I think sub it is perfectly reasonable reasonable to take a subjective approach. And if you sum that up enough, I, I think it does. It's at least indicative of of something. Does, does this one question I was going to ask you? And I think the reason I'm structuring the question this way is because I think this is the answer but how do we evaluate effectiveness is it using all of these surveys basically i think that's definitely you can't just one give a true way. false answer i suppose because that's yeah, yeah that's a very it's leading one question way, you know to do to do before and afters with these different surveys and within as you go along with the pulse surveys and everything you know one thing i did want to mention you mentioned that you had taken the the unmuted assessment i think this is a really important tool that every trainer could include in their toolbox and that specific tool is score app Dot com And anyone, any trainer who has their own IP and their own methodology, you can go in and create a similar assessment. And there's all different kinds of question types and you can get different information, but 
you can set that up as your own style of needs assessment that when you then can go and analyze the data that you get from that, both from individual companies, but also as a widespread global workplace style study that you could be sharing that on your LinkedIn and get people from all over the world answering and get some start defining some trends and seeing what is normal or not normal? Do most people fall in this category or another category? But I think that having a tool like that is really, really helpful in helping a company to start assessing their needs. And and for you as a trainer to come in with your own solutions to say, okay, this is what I can offer you based on this analysis. And going back to the subjectivity point, I think it's so interesting because even though it is subjective, you can pick that out in the survey results because you can say, look, 75% of you said this, yet 30% of you said that, and these things go directly against each other. So what's going on here? You know, you learn a lot through that subjectivity that because really these are just about raising the awareness at the end of the day. The thing that I do worry about is that if they've done the same assessment multiple times, they eventually learn how to take the assessment and that skews the results tremendously in our favor, of course, because they've learned what the right answers are in order for it to look as though they're perfect and happy. So I do sometimes worry about that or have some concern around that. Pulse surveys are somewhat different because they're usually on a, on a Likert scale and, and they will, a person can say, you know, neutral. And then maybe the next time they say, now I feel a little bit better about this, or I feel a little worse about this. There isn't necessarily a right or a wrong. It's not assessing them so much as they're feeling about the space they're in. So some of these pulse surveys, I do like to monitor data over time and monitor feelings toward, especially measuring psychological safety, I think is the best way to be going about it. And that's how you can actually evaluate it at the end. Because really what it comes down to, at least in my area with with communication, it's are people showing up happier to work? That's the end result. If their communication lines are open, if they feel like they belong, if they're being innovative, uh, are they happier at work? Another measurement might be, have they been more innovative? Have they launched? If you wanted to set KPIs for this, have we launched or had success? had more new ideas, Uh, you could set that up depending on what the specific company is looking for. You can always set KPIs around a number of different things. But but really, at the end of the day, uh, I think if the communication is working, then people are happier being a part of that team. And if they're showing up happy to work, then they are contributing more. But again, how do you measure happiness, right? Other than some survey questions and some, some yeah, overall responses from the group. Well, I think you touched on some really good points there. And like, you probably don't ask, are you happy? There are cleverer ways of asking what's behind that, which are indicators of happiness. And you can also then pick out inconsistencies because you you might be saying, oh, you said you were happy, but yet all your indicators are going in a slightly different direction. Yeah, you say you're happy, yet you say you're not comfortable raising your hand in a meeting. What's going on there, right? For example, And and that's what we see show up. We see things like that show up. And uh, yeah, and as you get more skillful at designing and using and interpreting the questionnaires, the more information these layers are giving, which maybe aren't exactly. initially apparent. So there's a there's a whole there's a whole series of podcasts just in that little bit of question because I think yeah. that's so fascinating yeah. how you do that. But I, I feel we may have tried the listeners' patience already with a this this, this conversation has been re- uh, longer than I anticipated, but that's because it's been so interesting. So and I, I did have one last question, if you will, uh, okay. if, if you don't mind, if not, I know we're slightly over time, but. That's fine. That's fine. Um, a lot of people, when they do hire L and D people, do want to tick training boxes, and you're coming in going, "No, we must take this much bigger holistic approach." How do you overcome that resistance? Yeah, and there is resistance because typically it's no, 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 we don't have budget for that. That's not what we're looking for. We just need a presentation skills course. <laughs> uh, so. 
actually what I've done, and I maybe I preempted this question by going into the the assessment piece, but that has actually been an amazing tool for me in helping to show HR, for example, or whoever might be contacting me, what the larger problems are. So what I'm now doing is selling the assessment as a team assessment and report as step number one, that go and do this unmuted assessment, have the entire group do this, and then we'll be able to see immediately what's really happening here, who is on mute, who isn't, how balanced is it? And then we can see if actually your solution here of running a two-day program is going to help anyone do anything. Because maybe that's not at all what the problem is. Maybe it's that you have this toxic environment where nobody's listening to anyone's ideas. It doesn't matter. I can give them all the presentation skills in the world. It's not going to change anything. They're not going to get any better. You're not going to hear their ideas any better because I gave them presentation skills training. So I try to come at it from the perspective of, look, I'm trying to save you money in the end by helping you to identify the underlying root causes for whatever is happening on the surface. And that is not always just a bad presentation. And this is truer, though, for the larger scale when they want to roll out large scale training programs for a larger group. If it is just one individual that they want to have coaching, then that isn't necessarily the right solution. Then it's me, you know, talking to that individual and True. and saying, okay, what is it we need to look at with this particular leader, then that could be a very good solution. But Going from the needs assessment side and partnering with them all the, already at step number one, that is going to help you to show them what the root causes are and how you can best come in as a partner to help solve the larger problems that are that are underneath the surface. And that's what's been most effective for me in, in convincing them that, look, it's not just about that presentation. There's a whole lot more we have to look at. And of course, having my unmuted framework also helps in that, that I can make it very clear to them. What about this area? Have you looked at that? Have you considered how the leaders are responding to the presentations, you know, in the connected piece? Or So by showing them that framework, just that already, they go, oh, yeah, wow, I, I hadn't really thought about those other parts. You're right. How do we approach that then? So I think from an external trainer perspective, if you have a solid framework or methodology that you're using, that can be very helpful, but also some kind of assessment or way of helping and partnering on needs assessment and analysis is also truly helpful to make that step toward a more transformative partnership instead of tick the box training. Oh, thank you so much for that. That's so interesting. And I really appreciate your time. And I am going to buy your book. I promise. <laughs> I think I should just send you one. I think I owe you a copy. I'll send it to you. This has been so much fun. And I've really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on all of this as well. It's just really fun to be able to bounce ideas off another training professional in the industry and, and hear your thoughts on it too. That is so interesting. And, and, and as I said, I do think communication is right at the heart of how organizations function, how human relationships function, how people become happy in life. If you get better at communicating, I think it genuinely, I'm not overstating it in my view. I really think it is that important. So I'm fascinated by all of this stuff. So I will definitely read your book. And uh, when I come to Singapore, you can uh, give me a signed copy. Yeah, you better look me up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Thanks so much, John.